now in terms of parenting itself, but there's a, a number of different areas that come together and that kind of work together to coordinate how we respond to baby, how motivated we are to care for baby, how we can make decisions around caring for baby and, and so on. Hey everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Entering Motherhood, a podcast dedicated specifically to new moms going through this amazing journey in life. I'm your host, Sarah Bilger, a postpartum nutritional coach slash mechanical engineer. And as always, I'm so excited to be here with you and share all the information I've been lucky enough to obtain since becoming a mom. In this episode, we talk with Dr. Jody Paluski, who is a neuroscientist and therapist about her research that focuses on how the brain changes in motherhood and perinatal mental illness. Hi, mamas. I am super excited this week because I am loading you up with a bunch of information here. And like I said, we are talking with Dr. Jody Paluski. And this conversation was just so exciting to create and also to go back and edit because I was just finding so many other little nuggets and things that she was saying to be so informative and you know although others are doing similar research it's important that we talk about the findings and continue to open up this conversation surrounding what's being discovered this is what's going to move the needle forward and this is one of the reasons that she created her podcast mommy brain revisit it and is doing the work that she does This episode is particularly exciting because it's super aligned with the direction of where the Entering Motherhood podcast is going, and it highlights a fellow mom in STEM. Dr. Paluski is a mom of two herself and started her journey in researching motherhood actually before she even became a mom. Her story is so encouraging, and this episode is full of so much knowledge surrounding the science behind what is going on inside the brain as we make the transition into motherhood. We talk about what parts of the brain seem to be most affected during this time, how our emotions, motivation, decision-making abilities can be altered, and what research is actually being done right now and what research needs to be done if we hope to make great strides in the future on this topic. So pop in those headphones, turn up the volume, and let's get this episode started. Hello, and welcome to Entering Motherhood. I am really, really excited about this episode today. So I will not waste any time, and we will let you introduce yourself for our listeners and get this episode started. Super. Well, I'm really excited to be here and to talk to you uh, about all things entering motherhood. Uh, my name is Jody Paluski. I'm a neuroscientist and a therapist. I'm Canadian, but based in France. And my research probably for the past 10 plus years now, or even longer, has really focused on how the brain changes with motherhood and perinatal mental illness. And I also, yeah, I love to talk about all these changes. And I think there's a number of us doing this research but uh, we don't talk about it enough for moms and parents to, to learn really what's going on in the brain. So, so that's what I'm here to do today. 
Awesome. So you are a mom yourself. I believe you have two kids, right? Yes, I do. Yep. So how old are they? And can you kind of lead us through what your journey was like when you first entered motherhood? Yeah, definitely. So my kids are 10 and eight and a half. So a bit older, maybe. (laughs) It's been a while. I've been a mom for a while now, let's say. So I have a daughter first, and then I had a son. So I had two under two. I was one of those, which was uh, for us both a a challenge, but also really enjoyable time. So my journey entering into motherhood, I mean, uh, where do I start? I guess I can say that, you know, I've been doing research in this space for a really long time. And in fact, my interest in motherhood came about before becoming a mom. And so in some ways, I think as I took this journey into motherhood, my, my knowledge, perhaps my background kind of informed or helped me to make this transition a bit smoother to some degree. Uh, And yeah, I don't know, I can, I mean, I can tell you for hours about my experience, but (laughs) maybe you have something more specific you want to know. So if you were already doing this research before you became a mom, like what really led you to go into that field? And why were you so interested in motherhood? Yeah, so I mean, from a, a very young age, I grew up on a small farm. So from a very young age, we had a lot of animals around and springtime was a time of mom and babies. And I was really interested in this relationship uh, I remember asking my grandma once when I was quite young, probably about five, how how things worked. Like, how did the baby chick work? And so interested in how things worked, but then more so also really curious about this relationship with um, parenting. Like we had a chicken who had hatched out ducklings, and that was really interesting to see how they interacted because the ducks wanted to be in water. She didn't want them there. And just kind of how this parenting kind of piece worked. And as I went into university, I was really interested in hormones and the brain and behavior. And so this intersection between those three things, it really, for me, I was like, well, you know, pregnancy and motherhood and parenting is such a a time where you see all these things change, especially, well, then we knew for sure the changes in hormones, of course, and of course, the parental behavior and not as much as what we know now in the brain. So I, yeah, I became really curious about motherhood and the brain, essentially. And so it was really before I had kids. I mean, I always wanted to have kids, but it wasn't, I had been doing research around this for years before I actually had kids. Yeah. And then why the brain specifically? I feel why like... Why the brain? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why the brain? Uh, I th- you know, I think because I was just really interested in, in how the brain functions in general. I did a, a bachelor's in biopsychology at the University of British Columbia. So we had a lot of brain and behavior type courses and hormones. And I think I was just really curious on how the brain functions and how it mediates behavior and how it can be affected by changes in our hormones. And so for me, it's the organ. Maybe that's perhaps a, the biggest mystery of all the organs in the body. And it does so, so many things. So I think that's, I mean, that for me is part of why I'm interested in the brain in particular. Yeah. So I think, I mean, obviously everybody knows what the brain is. Like we all have one, but I think it is something that's still such a mystery, especially for us that are not 
in that field of study or even familiar, like we don't learn about the brain on a day-to-day basis. We're not doing things to think about that, but we're obviously using it every day. So can you kind of give us like a basic rundown of parts of the brain or, or like general knowledge of what parts are maybe more of a focus when dealing with motherhood? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause the brain itself, I like to think of it. It's really, really complex. And so even as a neuroscientist, I study really one part of the brain specifically, but often when I'm talking about the parental brain, I'm can talk about it more generally because it, it, you know, the brain itself has a number of different areas that seem to work together to coordinate any of our behaviors. And so when we're talking about parenting, one brain area that comes up quite a bit we talk about and do research on is the amygdala, for example. So this is quite a small brain area, but it's one I'm sure you've heard of. This one's talked about a lot because of its role in emotional regulation. It does other things as well, um, but it also, you know, so this is one of the brain areas that's probably key for parenting. We also have another brain area, the hypothalamus, that's really, really important for all our kind of regulatory processes. It's affected by lots of hormones and it plays a role in parenting. But then you have a lot of different brain areas, those areas like the nucleus accumbens and the striatum that are important for motivation and reward. And then we have our prefrontal cortex and other areas in, in our brain that help us to make decisions. And I mean, no brain area works in isolation and no brain areas really uh, like the amygdala isn't just for emotion, it's also affected by decision making and plays a role in, in, you know, our motivation and what have you. So there's a, it's a complex kind of circuit in our brain that coordinates our behavior. And we know more about it now in terms of parenting itself, but there's a, a number of different areas that come together and that kind of work together to coordinate how we respond to baby, how motivated we are to care for baby, how we can make decisions around caring for baby and and so on. I know I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I've always found it really interesting, you know, in general, like all the research that is being done on this. But I think the general opinion I hear is like, there's just not enough being done. Like, where would you like to see things go as far as research for motherhood? Yeah, I mean, one area that I really, really think we need to do more research in is on perinatal mental illness or mental illnesses, because we know there's quite a few of them and how our brain really changes uh, with these illnesses and how we can maybe, you know, target approaches or preventative factors so that we can ensure brain health. And I, you know, if you think that one in five women will struggle with a a mental illness during pregnancy or the postpartum period, and really in the research we have, I mean, maybe now we have 30 something research studies on this that are specific to the brain in humans, and a few more in, in animal models. But I mean, this is it should be quite shocking. In fact, I, I find it quite shocking to think that we have really neglected this area of research. And, and perhaps this is for a few reasons. I mean, it could be because we assume that these mental illnesses are so similar at other times in life. You know, a big one that comes up for me is maybe we just don't care so much about uh, maternal health and women's health, which I think is part of the factor. But moving forward in this research space, space, I would really, really love to see 
more research on how the brain is changing with perinatal mental illnesses, because these are biological disorders. They're not, it's no one's fault. They happen and they happen for a biological reason, as well as of course, our, how our biology interacts with the environment. So I, that for me would be number one, more research in that area. So what are you finding? Like, what are some things that we can be doing to help with our brain health and to better prepare for mental mood disorders in the postpartum period or, or even while pregnant? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, a couple of things that come to mind is number one, I mean, we are seeing that there's some brain changes in these parental brain areas with postpartum depression, which is perhaps the most studied of perinatal mental illness. And, and so, and we're also seeing that some of these brain areas that are involved in these illnesses are similar to the brain areas involved in these illnesses at other times in life, but they're responding in a different way. So I think it's important to realize that the, you know, there are these changes, but they seem to be a bit unique to the parental or the maternal brain. We ha- don't have so many, so much work in non-birthing parents or fathers. So I think we still have a lot to do in that area. But then in general, I mean, how can we improve our brain health? So when it comes to mental illness, I think this is a great question. And, and often, you know, some things that I think of are some basics that are good for us at any times in our lives, but maybe are more challenging as we're new parents. So it's the acronym SELF, which I think was coined by Karen Kleiman, who's with postpartum stress. She's written a number of books about um, perinatal mental health. So self as in S is for sleep, E is for exercise or movement, L for laughter or enjoyment, and F for food or nutrition. So all those components are really important for our brain health at any times in in life, any time in life. Um, But of course, during the postpartum in particular, and even during pregnancy, it can be difficult to have those components, um, to highlight those components or take care of them. And also, there's a lot of pressure around, well, oh, I should sleep more, I should eat better, I should, I should, I should. And in fact, the way I approach it is like, let's just look at those four components in your life. And is there one thing you could change even a little bit? So could you go to bed maybe 10 minutes earlier? Or can you make sure to, you know, if you feel like you would like love to get together with your girlfriends, make a time to do that. You know, that's part of that laughter enjoyment. So just checking in on like, oh, I'm not feeling super great right now. So is there something that I can modify that I need? Or is there something that I've been missing? So have I not had a fresh piece of fruit or vegetable in the past week? So maybe I could like buy something colorful tomorrow that's fresh. So I like to approach it that way, just as a kind of uh, a way that we can change things a little bit that could be protective and healthy for our brain. But of course, you know, eating fresh strawberries isn't going to keep you from being depressed postpartum. It's not, that's not really the answer. I'm talking about things on a more general uh, daily basis we could tune in with. And, and remember that our brain needs to be fed good stuff and it needs to be, have some sleep and it needs to have a good time and a little bit of outdoor activity maybe. Those are all healthy components for our brain health. I mean, in terms of really struggling with mental illness, I think we, we have a number of different approaches that are available when we have severe anxiety or depression or other mental illnesses in the perinatal period. And I think those things related, I mean, you know, medications can be super great and super helpful. 
uh, therapy, of course, can be super great and helpful, even parenting classes. And, you know, these things can really help with some of the stress around parenting. There's a lot of different components, depending on, on what you think would be helpful for you that you could explore. But also these depend on what are available to you, which can, which is a whole other issue. So I don't know if that, I mean, answers your question a little bit. Yeah. And I feel like obviously if we're doing human studies, we can kind of um, incorporate those kinds of things. Like, you know, actually like social interaction and like hanging out with our friends or doing things that like we actually enjoy. But when it comes to animal testing, like how are we able to relate that? Like, I mean, like we can't ask an animal, like, what do you enjoy? Okay, like, let's do more of that. Like, and then like, also like to that, like, what animals are we using to test? And and why are they good correlating subjects, I guess? Yeah, so I should mention, you know, there's been 40 years of research on the maternal brain, specifically, predominantly in animal models, because of course, when we use animal models, we can take out the brain, we can look at it more invasively, whereas when we're working with humans, we usually are dependent on imaging, which gives us some pictures. So we can look at changes in, say, structure or volume or changes in blood flow as an indication of activity. But to really deep dive, we often need to work with the tissue and we can investigate, you know, a number of different factors that could be playing a role, hormones, neurotransmitters, receptors, different cell types, what have you. So that's the first thing. So there's really been 40 years of research on this uh, maternal behavior, specifically motivation to care for young in animal models. The most common ones are probably rodents, so rat, uh, a laboratory rat and uh, mouse. So these, you know, when you ask, you're like, well, obviously a rat isn't a human, definitely not. But we know that our brain is very similar has or has similar brain areas that do similar things in most uh, in a number of mammalian species. There's a conservation of of the brain. And and so we know the amygdala is important for certain behaviors related to fear, for example, in rodents, which we can measure, but also in humans. So the same brain areas ideally do relatively similar things, let's say that's the idea in rodents and humans. With, of course, humans being a bit more complex because of our environments, we also think differently, we can speak, we can make decisions in a different way and what have you. So similarities and differences, of course, exist when we do translational research. When it comes to mental illness, of course, you know, animal models can give us an indication of what could be happening in a human. So for example, we can't ask them how they're feeling, but we can test for certain things like anxiety-like behavior or anhedonia, so not finding pleasure in things. So those that's important to note that we can look at aspects of, say, depression or anxiety, um, but of course we don't know exactly how they're feeling. So you know, doing this type of research, you have to take that into account. But it does give an idea of like, oh, what could be going on uh, in a person? But then when we're talking about things like nutrition or social interaction, for example, in a rat, in fact, they're very social. So they do like to have their little friends with them, right? So there is, in fact, um, some research showing that if they lived in a cage, if female mice live in a cage for three weeks alone, they show depressive type like behaviors. 
And so there are ways we can manipulate uh, the environment of the animals we study to, to make it similar to interventions or stressors that humans will experience. But of course, it's not going to be the same, but there are lots of different ways we can, we can get at pieces of the puzzle, essentially, with our animal models. And you were saying earlier that, you know, there's just not as much interest in this field or like as much funding and stuff. What would, in your opinion, kind of cause more people to be more willing to fund research projects like this? Or like, what would be a driving factor to really up the need for this? Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to maternal health in general, I think, well, okay, we can start with women's health in general, that's been a bit neglected, we can see there's a movement now to care for it. Maternal health is often surrounding the focus of the child and the infant and lots and lots of money goes towards research in this area, which is, of course, very valuable to ensure the baby uh, survives and how can we help baby. But I think we have to start to really value the role that parents play in especially mothers who often are the primary caregivers that that the role that they play in this developmental process and how significant it is for them and and spending more time not only in research looking at moms and having supporting a healthy transition to motherhood but also implementing programs that we know already work that can support moms and new parents i mean there's lots we know from the research but I don't think there's enough money going towards those types of supports um, for moms, depending on probably which country you live in, there's differences. But, you know, I think we have to start valuing the role that caregivers have in general in society. I mean, we even see, you know, teachers probably aren't paid enough. People who care for, you know, people with all sorts of abilities probably could use more support and acknowledgement of what they do definitely parents and you know mothers we have to value this as really it's a it's a challenging job it's a really important one and if we're not actually taking care to care about what's happening with mom then i think we're really really failing in improving not only her health and well-being but also the baby's yeah is there any like if this is something that we're interested in learning more about is there any journals or literature that is specifically focused on research and parenthood Yeah so I there's a few different ones I don't know all of them but one that I am on the editorial board for is uh, Archives of Women's Mental Health Research so it has a lot of research about women's mental health in general, but a lot of perinatal mental health. There's also a new one that I'm involved in, on, and that's with uh, Frontiers in the journals. There's a number of different ones, but it's Frontiers in Global Women's Health. And then there's a perinatal or a mental health component to that as well. So there's a, that one's free access, so you can access all their articles, which is quite good. And then there's other journals around women's health. I think there's Journal of Women's Health. And then, yeah, there must be some other ones, especially more specific to child development. There is child development, for example, and pediatrics, but those are more specific to child development than women's health. So, yeah, for me, Archives of Women's Mental Health is a great one to go to. And then Frontiers in Global Women's Health is another good one as well. Where are you seeing 
I guess, changes in the brain occurring along a timeline of someone becoming a parent? Yeah, this is a good question. And it's been reviewed in um, recent, a couple of recent reviews. And there's one in, in um, a special issue we had on the neurobiology of peripartum mental illness. So, but yeah, so when we talk about humans, I'm going to go over humans for this, because this is, I think, what's more relevant. There's been research done by El Selena Huxima's group and Susana Carmona's group in Europe, here in Netherlands, Netherlands and Spain. And they've really been, and others as well, but really been looking at what happens from preconception to postconception. So they had this lovely study a few years ago showing a number of structural changes across pregnancy in the brain, where this, in terms of this decrease in brain size occurring in many brain areas important for social behaviors and parenting. Uh, and then others have shown a slight increase in the postpartum period. And then uh, this is size and then a de decrease later on. And then in terms of function, which is actually activity, so we see a lot of increases in activity in these different brain areas I talked about that are important for parenting when a parent is viewing a picture of a baby uh, as compared to viewing a picture of scenery, for example, or of a non-parent viewing a picture of a baby. So these types of studies will look at how your brain changes when you're, you have an infant view because it could be a picture, a video, uh, or you could hear a sound of a baby crying, for example. So we don't know how the brain changes in every, I guess, trimester of pregnancy, because often in humans, those imaging type studies are more difficult to do um, for ethical reasons, sometimes depending on your institution, you know, and what have you having a mom in a scanner. But there is some work looking at brain activity using a different method uh, in pregnancy and how, how brain activity in terms of brain waves how that might change and how that might be predictive of postpartum maternal feelings of, of attachment with baby. So there's, I think in the, just to sum it up in the human literature, what we're seeing is across pregnancy and in the postpartum period, there's changes in structure of different brain areas and usually a, a, a shrinking, let's say, but this is actually to increase, we like to think of it as increased efficiency. So less can be more. And then in activity, which is actually how it's functioning, the brain, there's an increase in, in activity with baby-related cues, which would make sense because, of course, we want our brain has to learn quickly and rapidly to care for baby and remember what to do to keep baby alive. That's how I look at it anyway. And then is there any correlation in between if that is not occurring, where they're seeing like postpartum mood disorders? Yeah, so I can tell you that in the that study uh, with the structural changes across pregnancy, they showed that the, as uh, the brain was, had these different brain areas that were smaller in structure, there was a, actually a, that was healthy and good and was correlated with how a mom felt about her baby. So there's something about this natural change in structure that is really important for feelings towards baby. So that's important to remember. These are all healthy changes, even though we talk about it as getting smaller, less can be more. And then in terms of the, you know, if we're looking at, for example, postpartum depression, uh, we can see that 
I mean, the best example I have offhand right now is a, a recent study it, that came out out of Allison Fleming's group showing that the amygdala seems to respond quite differently in a mom that has postpartum depression than in a mom that doesn't have postpartum depression. And the response is quite high. What it is, is it as a more functioning, it seems to be quite activated when the mom is viewing her baby, but also when the mom is viewing a picture of someone else's baby. So there are these differences that, that we're starting to see in the neurobiology in the human brain with mental illness in the perinatal period that's, you know, clearly different than, than without mental illness. And we're also seeing that these changes can be different than uh, what you see in the brain of people that are also, for example, depressed, but not a parent. Hmm. What have you liked the most about your work? What have I liked the most about my work? Oh, this is a good question. I mean, one thing I really love about research is just asking questions and trying to find answers, which lead to more questions. So, you know, there's something about the the creativity, the curiosity that I find stimulating and interesting. I love the topic, of course. For me, I'm not one who does research just to do research. I really, really love the topic. And I, and, you know, more so the past few years, I've become really quite a bit more passionate about advocating for better health care and more research around, you know, brain changes with parenting and perinatal mental illness. And so I think that I've also enjoyed connecting with other professionals that work in this perinatal area, doing various different aspects of work and really learning from them, but also sharing what I know. So that's been really valuable. Um, Of course, I work, I love working in the lab. I love, you know, working with students and doing some mentoring and there's different aspects of the research world uh, that I really enjoy. But I I would say part of it is just the curiosity, being able to answer questions uh, and and ask more. And then really now, yeah, being able to share what we know and hopefully improve how people are, are, you know, looking at women's health and maternal mental health in particular. Yeah. What's something maybe you wish you would have known you know, before, like what you know now that you wish you would have known when you were first entering motherhood or something that you feel like more moms need to be made aware of? Like, you know, like here you are, you're pregnant or you just like had your baby. Like, what would you like to hand them as far as information? Yeah, I guess for me, I think one thing I've realized is how important it is for moms to know that their brain changes and that it's healthy. There's brain changes. It's a bit, it's normal. It's normal probably to have some ups and downs, to have some memory changes and what have you. Like there's a a part of this is a normal experience. Uh, Of course, when it becomes extreme and difficult to handle, then that's a, a different, a different thing altogether. But I think I've learned how much just knowing that the brain changes has been really helpful for individuals and so that's probably the the biggest thing just know that your brain does change and it's changing essentially to prepare you to become a parent i think the other thing that's really valuable for people to know is that just because you give birth and have a baby it doesn't mean you know what you're doing so this idea of maternal instinct um there's no switch there's no switch that turns on and makes you know what you're doing So it's a learning process. And I think that this is really important to remember. And our brain is there to help us learn and remember. 
to parent, not just for the birthing parent, but also for the partner as well. I mean, yeah, I think that this is essential to understand. It's like all about making mistakes and learning from them. So, Has there been a period of time that you've been able to see you know, lasting effects of our brain changes? You know, is it something that is only in a certain time period in the postpartum period? Or is it kind of like a life changing alteration? Yeah, so there's been some recent research showing that parenting impacts your brain essentially forever, as an evolving or changing process. So you know, how your brain might be in the first year postpartum or the first few months could be very different than what your brain will be like 10 years later or 50 years later, what have you. But what's interesting about this research that's been coming out is that just the fact that you've parented, especially the research is showing mothers in particular, that there are long-term effects of parenting on the brain. And for me, I think this makes sense because you, you have this relationship with a child or with someone, right? So this this kind of relationship that evolves over time. So of course your brain, for me, I think, of course your brain would be changing in response to that. And you said there there hasn't been as much research on the non-birthing parent, but what about people that birth a child and then are not the caregiver for that child, whether they're you know putting them up for adoption or for whatever circumstances they can't be with that baby? Is there research being done on the effects of those individuals? Yeah, I don't think we have any research in humans on that uh, in particular. It's something I've been really interested in is, you know, loss, essentially pregnancy loss and how that can affect the brain. Because as the brain's changing through throughout pregnancy, what happens when baby's not there? I've done a little bit of this in some of my work in animal models, uh, essentially looking at how it affects the, the brain and behavior of the rat mom when I take her babies away. Uh, very little research I've done on this, but I've shown, in fact, what was really surprising to us was when those babies were taken away, even two months later, she had a real difficulty. The rats, that group in general, had a difficulty performing memory tasks and in fact showed depressive-like behaviors. And I know there's one group that's in um, Germany, Oliver Bosch's group, that's doing work looking more specifically at brain changes related to loss or separation um, from babies, but again, in animal models. So in terms of the human imaging work, I don't know anyone who's doing this work. I hope somebody is. And then, you know, even in the animal models, I only know one group that's really doing this work, but there could be more. Of course, I don't know everybody, but I yeah. think it's really, really interesting and important topic to talk about in more detail. Awesome. Is there anything else that you would want to add that we haven't kind of touched on in this episode? Anything else I would like to add? I don't know. I guess in some ways, you know, I think parenting is kind of this journey and I've been fortunate to be able to do it with a partner. And I think we can't do it alone as moms. And I, this is really important. So, you know, there's things that are important as one, your body's changing, preparing you, you don't know everything. And to have someone there to help you. I mean, if you can, like, this is really the ideal situation, because it's a difficult time. But then also, it can be a really fun time having 
your little ones. And even now as they're older, I'm seeing, you know, there's lots of fun in, in parenting. So, so that's, you know, I would hope that everybody has enjoyable time parenting, but obviously if you're not, and it's a struggle, which it is for many people, then reach out for support because you're not alone and you're definitely not to blame and you can feel much better with support. There's people available for you as well. Awesome. And then one final question. If there is anybody that's listening um, that either knows somebody that wants to get into this kind of field or like interested in it themselves, like what's kind of a starting point that they can go to, I guess, be on that path? Yeah. So if you're interested in research, uh, entering into this research area I mean of course there's going through university and getting different degrees and what have you is helpful but I mean if you're really interested in working with someone and and doing graduate work or even research with them I would you know encourage you to contact them and see if they have space in your lab either a paid position or even volunteering part-time uh, I think that that can be really valuable to yeah to have that experience hands-on experience so directly contacting people is a really great idea uh, for that research, there's also the, you know, different conferences. I am on the advisory board for the parental brain meetings, which are every three years now. So our next one is in 2025. So parental brain 2025, it will be in Spain. And, you know, if you're able to come to a conference and that's also really great to meet a number of researchers doing different aspects of research on the parental brain. So that's that's another great opportunity otherwise I would say you know if you're passionate about it just keep seeking out you know experiences interactions with people contact me and I can help put you into touch with other people as well or organizations and what have you you know there's lots out there to explore so you just have to start somewhere so speaking of contacting you, how can we contact you? Um, you know, where are you at on social media? And then also you have a podcast of your own. So give us the title of that and, and what you kind of touch on on your podcast. Yeah, so you can find me. I have a website, jodypaluski.com. I'm also on Twitter at Jody Paluski, on Insta at Dr. Jody Paluski. And I have a podcast called Mommy Brain Revisited, where I speak with other neuroscientists about their research. And that you can find on all uh, major podcast providers, iTunes and Spotify. Um, yeah, and I also have a, a page on Instagram for that as well, Mommy Brain Revisited. So those are my social handles. And yeah, I'm always open to, I love hearing from everybody and open to uh, talking more about the brain if you have any questions about what you've been going through as well. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I feel like this was definitely packed with a lot of information and <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely recommend, you know, if this is something that, you know, listeners are interested in, like going to your podcast and listening to all those episodes too, because you really do like dive deep on individual topics. So yeah, thank you. I've yeah. enjoyed them. <laughs> Super thanks. Yeah, there's there's a wide range of topics uh, and yeah, in neuroscience. So definitely do explore them. There's a, a, a number of different people I talked to, which has been also great for me to be able to share the science with everyone. And I think that's important as well. 
So thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Well, this wraps up another episode of the Entering Motherhood podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review us wherever you are listening because that helps the show grow and expand so that other mamas can learn information on how to heal and navigate in motherhood. Thank you so much for listening. It means so much to me. And be sure to subscribe so that you can listen to the latest episodes of the Entering Motherhood podcast. See you later, mamas.